0: Uh, If you'd like to turn to page 404, and we'll be looking at Psalm 50. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages, He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my consecrated ones who made a covenant with me by a sacrifice, and the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Salam. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? "'Sacrifice thanks offerings to God. "'Fulfill your vows to the Most High "'and call upon me in the day of trouble, "'and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. "'But to the wicked, God says, "'What right have you to recite my laws "'or take my covenant on your lips? "'You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you, "'and when you see a thief, you join with him "'and throw in your lot with adulterers. "'You use your mouth for evil "'and harness your tongue to deceit. You speak continually against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. Consider this, you who forgot God, or I will tear you to pieces with none to rescue. He who sacrifices thanks, thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. The next reading is from Acts 14. You'll find it on page 782, and we'll be starting at verse number 8. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown you kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. you provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy.
1: Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome. If uh, you're new or passing through, it's great to have you amongst us this evening. Uh, It's a great thing as well for all of us, a privilege that we can uh, meet freely and we can have our Bibles open and we can hear God address us in that way. Normally I'd say to people, yes, have your... Bible at open at one of our two readings that we had, but uh, we've been working through a series which is a bit more topical. Uh, If you've been amongst us for the last month, we've been looking at the character of God. And so, and not only will you need a Bible, I'd encourage you actually to grab one of those pads that's uh, in front of you and uh, a pen. There's a pencil if you didn't have one of your own on the the end of the seats. Uh, Because that means you'll have the opportunity to jot down any kind of references that are made because I won't give you time to look them up. It means as well, if you've got any questions that leap into your mind, you can jot them down so you don't forget them later on when you walk out the building. Um, But as you're doing that, the more important thing is uh, not your pen and your paper but uh, the Spirit of God to work in us. So let's pray that he works powerfully. Lord and Father, we give you great praise as uh, the God of infinite power and wisdom and goodness. And we ask that tonight we, as we consider you and your ways, we would be struck again by your character and by your grace and mercy. Father, we ask that Uh, Your spirit would be applying to each one of us what we need to hear of you. Uh, That you would humble us where we need humbling and lift us up where we're feeling uh, downcast. Father, we ask that by your spirit and word, you would remold us to live as people who honor and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And may all our thoughts tonight be pleasing in his sight, we pray. Amen. Uh, Didon is a Nigerian. Uh, He lives in the Niger Delta in uh, Port Harcourt. Three years ago, Denon graduated from university with a degree in political science. Uh, During his time at uni, he managed to find his way into a uh, Nigerian gang called the Greenlanders. And when he got out of university with his degree and unable to get a job, uh, he tapped into those networks that he built up. And soon he found himself part of a kidnapping syndicate. Uh, an interview he gave with uh, the uh, journalist from New York Times, he admitted that he'd kidnapped three people at this stage. Uh, one was a seven-year-old, the son of a politician. Although he'd never uh, gone and kidnapped a white where the real money comes from, uh, he'd still made enough to be driving around a Mercedes, in a Mercedes-Benz. He'd still made enough to be able to give to uh, his girlfriend money to set up her own beauty salon. Uh, Dodon said this, Going into things such as kidnapping, it's not really ideal. I'm not happy doing this, but I need it to survive. We can react in all sorts of ways, can't we? But before we leap into judgment about a child kidnapper, we need to feel something of his situation. His is the cry of scarcity. It's a common cry that we hear these days. Resources are finite Uh, But all the more, the way that people speak about this world and what we have is that the biggest enemy we've got is scarcity, that there's just not enough to go around. Uh, This year's only just begun, uh, and already the people of South Australia have been making requests of us to give them some water. Uh, Christina Keneally kind of released this massive amount, this kind of unfathomable for me amount, 148 gigalitres of flood water uh, across the border to relieve the prospect of catastrophe. Uh, in South Australia again what it looks like is it's the problem of scarcity now this week just a couple of days ago at church a pregnant woman uh, called in here and was looking for help to pay her bills Uh, you don't need to know the ins and the outs of the situation but again the issue seemed scarcity Uh, this time it was cash rather than general resources then of course there are our own fears aren't there You know, the the lack of affordable housing, of course, in the suburb that we'd like to be in. Uh, There's the shortage of good promotions that are available. There's the lack of quality single men or women, fill in as you need to, uh, in this city. And at the same time as all this, I remember a catchphrase of one of my college lecturers. Scarcity is not the problem. It's a provocative claim and he said it to be provocative and to make us think because we look around and scarcity seems to be a problem. People around the world are starving. People are forced to sell themselves into slavery. There are people who enter the world of crime like Dodon. Uh, South Australia does have drought conditions. Farmers do struggle across Australia. And looking at that, how can we honestly, how can we genuinely say that scarcity is not the problem? Tonight... I hope we can grasp it a little more by seeing the character and the action of our God, the true and living God. So we've been going through this series, drawing out aspects of our true and living God from the the first article of the the Anglican 39 articles. It starts this way. There is but one living and true God, everlasting without body, parts or passions, of infinite power, wisdom and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. That's the final part we're picking up tonight. The maker and preserver of all things, visible and invisible. Scarcity is not the problem because of the way in which God makes and the way in which God maintains. So when we try and go to the effort of summarising what the Bible says about God being a maker and preserver, there are three things I want us to hear clearly, three things we need to hear clearly. One is that his creation is good. Secondly, that his preservation of it is as broad as it is intimate. And thirdly, he gives generously to satisfy. We'll come back to each of those kind of things, so don't expect you've grabbed them all at the moment. Firstly, that God makes a good creation. The inescapable refrain, if you know Genesis 1, uh, you know there's a refrain, you know there's repetition and the refrain there is the goodness of creation. So 1.4, the light was good. One ten, God saw it was good. One twelve, it was good. One eighteen, it was good. One twenty one, I feel you're guessing at this point, it was good. One twenty five, until we get to one thirty one, and it was very good. Extra word thrown in there. Uh, Genesis 1, as much as anything, is, is a poem of praise. It's a liturgy of abundance. It's talking about how generous God has been in creation, that there's an abundance of everything. And humanity is told, go and enjoy it. You know, go, make the most of it, be fruitful, multiply, enjoy what I've provided. And the goodness of creation is not something just of the past. It's not something where you kind of slip your rose-coloured glasses on and talk about the good old days when, you know, creation used to be good. Uh, no, no, it is still good. Even though there was a fall, even though there's sin, creation is still good. We, we don't lose the word good from the Bible after Genesis 3. Uh, psalm 104 is a great psalm. I'd encourage you to kind of jot it down and go and read it later on. It, it's like a commentary on Genesis 1, but it's not dull, it's not dry, it's not dusty. It's a song of celebration that explores the goodness of creation and, and the splendor and the abundance of creation. You know, that the abundance and lack of scarcity before the fall is still there. That goodness is still around. Not just in Psalm 104's time, but our time. We can sing it just as comfortably. Creation is still good. Why? Because the maker is the preserver. Psalm 104, verse 27. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. Uh, Speaking of animals and creation. When you give it to them... They gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. So It's the second thing I want us to hang on to. that the, the, the one who makes a good creation, he maintains it as broadly as he does intimately. It's still abundant because God is still active from the biggest to the smallest detail. God is intimately involved, looking after what he has made both the visible and the invisible. Uh, So we read before, Psalm 50, how how God doesn't come to us when he's in need. He doesn't bother telling us that, oh, I'm hungry today, uh, because what would be the point? What would we do to satisfy? We can't do anything to help out God. Instead, what happens? We turn to him. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. He's got it all. See, just because we are now in a, a, a wonderful position where science can describe and account for the orderly way that God preserves what he made. Now, just because there are meteorologists who understand how clouds work and can explain to me that yesterday was really hot and there was a reason why today is actually quite pleasant, um, I don't really understand it, but they can. just because there are people who can do that doesn't eliminate God from the process or the picture. It just means we're thinking his thoughts after he's. So he is actively involved in everything we experience. So he controls the universe at large. In Nehemiah nine six, we read, "You are the Lord; you alone; you made heaven, with all their hosts, the earth, and all that's in it, the sea, and all in it, and you preserve them all." Now he controls the universe on the big scale, and he even controls it, and he's involved in it down to the insignificant roll of a dice. Proverbs sixteen thirty three: "The lots cast in the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord." Yeah, and he's involved in, in what we see, the physical realities. He makes the grass grow in Psalm 104. He makes the rain fall in Matthew 5.45. Not just on the people who love him, but on everyone. And he's involved in the stuff we don't see. The invisible spiritual realities. Realities like angels and spirits that, that Western minds kind of go you know, out of sight, out of mind. We don't consider and think of them, but God does and God made them. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus. For the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And with that, that those parts of creation we see and the parts that we don't see, God preserves as well all the man-made structures, all the social structures, all the political structures. Uh, Romans 13 points out that no government exists apart from his institution. Uh, Christina Keneally, Kevin Rudd, they are there by divine will. And he rules the affairs of nations. Um, Job 12.23 explains how God raises up and then brings down empires. And what he is doing for Australia, raising us up, he does the same for you at an individual level psalm 75 7 it is god who judges he brings one down he exalts another there's an inescapable conclusion when you read the bible that the god who made a good creation is the same one who is involved in maintaining it at every level that's why christian people don't believe in luck nothing happens by chance it's purposed by god now um, you're not going to be struck down by lightning uh, if you happen to say, "Whew, lucky to get out of that one!" You know, after you do a narrow escape on a motorway or crossing the bridge, uh, things like that. You know, you won't get struck down and smote. Uh, but we do need to realise when we say that uh, it's a sloppy untruth. You know, we're never lucky. God is gracious, but we're not trapped either believing in some fatalism. We we don't buy into a morbid, simplistic, miserable future because God is intimately involved in this creation and he is doing it, he is preserving it, that he might generously satisfy us. That's the third one. He he generously gives to satisfy. He generously preserves to satisfy. Again, from that Psalm 104, verse 27... All who, look to you, uh, all who look to you to give them food at the proper time, when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. And again, from our reading in Acts Acts 14:17, God has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food. He fills your hearts with joy. Yeah, and that's, that's speaking of God's care of all people, not just Christian people. God, God wants to satisfy. He wants to give joy. He provides abundantly so we can be glad. Uh, the, the 17th century kind of all-round you know, super brain, Blaise Pascal, who was a philosopher and a mathematician and a theologian and a guy who uh, experienced life and suffered greatly, he described uh, the human condition, what we're like this way. All men seek happiness... This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. How the cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of man, even those who hang themselves. And you know that's true, don't you? You know, you think about your, the motive behind so many of your decisions, if not all of them. There's personal happiness is in there, isn't it? We, we long for that. We value happiness. It's um, why uh, Bhutan, this tiny little Himalayan nation, uh, measures not just its GDP, but it measures its gross national happiness too. I'm not entirely sure how they do it, but it's a great measurement, isn't it? Yeah. What is more remarkable, though, than the fact that we long and strive for happiness is that God is just as, if not more, concerned to fill our hearts with joy and satisfaction than we are. And he knows better how it can be found. Scarcity is not the problem because God is both the maker and the preserver. Scarcity is not the problem because God generously maintains the goodness of this world for our joy and our satisfaction. But if scarcity is not the problem, what do we make of Don kidnapping in the Niger Delta? You know, what do we make of water restriction? What do we make of people in need? What do we make of our needs? The problem is our hearts. You know, Dodon lives in a nation with massive resources. Uh, the Niger Delta has the 10th largest crude oil supply in the world. You know, scarcity only becomes a problem because of deeper problems that lie down there our unwillingness to share our confusion of wants with needs our fear that if we don't hoard we might miss out the assumption we have that that endless consumption is the path will lead to happiness rather than seeing that real satisfaction is only found when we commit to what we were made for what we were designed for and we were designed to to love god and love others wholeheartedly you know, they are the real, they are the deep problems, a world out of joint, lives that are, are built on a fear, a fear that things are scarce. So that the more that I fear there's not enough to go around, the more reluctant I am to share, the more I grip on tightly and hang on to things." Now, and non-Christians have spotted this. Uh, U.S. social advocate Francis Pay said this: "Scarcity is not our problem. The world produces enough to make us all quite chubby, in fact, and that's just on the leftovers. Uh, And perhaps if you like quotes that don't have the word chubby in it, Uh, Gandhi put it this way, Earth provides enough to satisfy every man's need, but not every man's greed. When you know the generosity of the maker and preserver, scarcity is actually a myth, and yet you and I know it feels so true, doesn't it? A fellow Christian, Walter Brueggemann, describes our dilemma this way. Though many of us are well-intentioned, we have invested our lives in consumerism. We have a love affair with more and we will never have enough. Consumerism is not simply a marketing strategy, it has become a demonic spiritual force amongst us. And the theological question facing us is whether the gospel has the power to help us withstand it. He goes on, if you are like me, While you read the Bible, you keep looking over at the screen to see how the market is doing. If you're like me, you read the Bible on a good day, but you watch Nike ads every day. And the Nike story says that our beginnings are in our achievements and that we must create ourselves. My wife and I have some young friends who have a four-year-old son, and recently the mother told us that she was about to make a crucial decision. She had to get her son into the right kindergarten, because if she didn't, Then he wouldn't get into the right prep school and that would mean not being able to get into Davidson College and if he didn't go to school there, he wouldn't be connected to the bankers in Charlotte and be able to get the kind of job where he'd make a lot of money. Our friend's story is a kind of parable of our notion that we must position ourselves because we must achieve and build our own lives. According to the Nike story, whoever has the most shoes when he dies wins. The Nike story says there are no gifts to be given because there's no giver. And we end up only with whatever we manage to get for ourselves. And the Nike story ends in despair. It Gives us a present tense of anxiety and fear and greed and brutality. It produces child and wife abuse, indifference to the poor, the build-up of armaments, divisions between people, environmental racism. It tells us not to care about anyone but ourselves and it is the prevailing prevailing creed of American society. And I'd venture to say it's the prevailing creed of Australian society too. So how does the maker and preserver, how does the God of abundance offer a way through this? How, how does the gospel give us the power to withstand? Two ways, two words, much easier to hang on to that way. Freedom and accountability. Freedom. God, the, the gospel gives us freedom to be generous. God is not stingy. He's not a celestial Scrooge. Uh, in the gospel, what do we see? We see that God didn't just make a, a beautiful creation, but he gave up his son that we might enjoy and share in his joy and his wealth. See, his real passion to preserve what he's made, is only seen clearly when we see what happened at the cross, where he poured out his life that we might have life eternal. It's only seen clearly when we see the heaven that he has promised and the abundance of that he offers there, that Jesus gave up heavenly riches, that we might have a share in them. God has not shortchanged us. He provides abundantly, but not infinitely. Abundance, but not infinite. There is enough, there will be enough. What's that mean? We don't have to hoard in fear. We are free to be generous with the resources we have. In 2 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul encourages us to be confidently lavish with what we have because God will make you rich in every way. Now, the danger would be if we stopped the sentence there because we would massively misunderstand what he means. No, no, God will make you rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion, which will lead to praise to God. Now, God is promising he will bankroll your generous habits, not your selfishness. Now, or if you like Bono... Uh, And his philosophies uh, on the Rattle and Hum album, he puts it slightly differently. The God I serve is not short of cash. Now, I know that uh, dealing with issues of responsibility in this world are not always straightforward. I I know environmental issues are complex. I know that one Christian can defend logging and another one can kind of denounce it just passionately. But what do we need to do? We need to start on the same page. We need to know that the problem is not scarcity. That means we've got the the ability to engage in these issues without fear but with confidence. So I've known for a a long time that, you know, that challenge out there to have shorter showers. Uh, Perhaps you've taken it up, perhaps you time your own ones and, you know, set records for yourself. Uh, Mostly I've thought about that challenge in terms of of what we don't have. You know, that kind of lack, the scarcity and it's that kind of guilt-inducing reason to cut it short and get out quickly. But when you know the abundance of God, it actually spins the way we think about it around. So I've been reconsidering this week that shorter shower challenge in terms of passing on, the opportunity to pass on the generosity God has given to me. See, that that abundance of God frees us from the fear that we have to overconsume. Traditionally, Christians have, have rejected wastefulness. We've seen that frugality, we've seen that prudence is a sign of contentment in the Christian life. I'm not sure that's the case these days. Now, in some ways our birthday wish list, our credit card statement reveals something about our level of satisfaction in Jesus and what God has given. And in a world that, that lives in fear of scarcity, perhaps one of the best ways that we as a, a Christian community can love those around us Uh, is is by en masse kind of turning away from consumerism and finding our real identity and thanking the one who who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. See, because we are free people. Uh, The second way the gospel gives us uh, power and a way through this problem of scarcity is an accountability. As maker and preserver of everyone, God has a right to call you and I and, in fact, everyone to account. That's, that's the logic of Acts 14, if you've accidentally left it open all this time. Uh, that, that's what happened in that reading. Paul's preaching to a group of people. They mistake him for being a God. Uh, he clears that up and goes on, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way and yet he hasn't left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. See, responsibility always goes together, hand in hand, with authority. So when a child's a baby, um, her her parents have complete authority over her because they have complete responsibility. Parents make all the decisions because they're the one who clean up all the messes. Uh, responsibility and authority go hand in hand. And as a child grows, uh, more and more responsibility is handed over and with that the parent hands over more and more authority and with that hands over accountability. So I'd be a um, complete failure as a parent if uh, I was still exerting authority over my kids uh, when they're 30 in the same way that uh, you know, I did when they were three months old. that that accountability has shifted Uh, but while my kids are nine years old down to four months they're accountable to me they're under my responsibility and my authority now God is the maker and preserver and he has responsibility for this world so great that he can never hand it over completely to us Uh, and so therefore his authority is always there and therefore Paul is preaching everyone is accountable to him They've been enjoying his generosity for so long and God will call them to an account for the way in which they've treated it. And this is, this is the good news that he wants to bring to them, that they can actually know the God whom they're accountable to. See, God's, God's provision, the way he cares for us, links to our accountability to him. There's a, there's a confession in the Book of Common Prayer uh, that flows, Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge our sins. Because there's a natural logical flow that the one who makes and preserves, therefore, we are accountable to. He is our judge and we need, we need forgiveness. You see, when we see the provision of God, the power of the gospel sees us to understand our accountability of his authority. It carves a way through. You know, we need to see our accountability for Men like Dodon over in Nigeria. But we also need to share that good news with our friends and neighbours and help them to see that same accountability the way Paul did. We we might find it easier, I think most of us do find it easier to talk to our friends of the the grace and forgiveness of God because it sounds like the thing they'd want to hear. But it is just as loving to remind people that they are accountable to the one who they've spent a lifetime enjoying the generosity of. We can offer to others who are afraid because of scarcity. Jesus' words that he is the bread of eternal life and free them from crass materialism. See, scarcity is not the problem. Because when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are heard by a father who abundantly gives and a father who wants to satisfy our hearts. We are heard by the maker and preserver of all things. Why don't we praise him now? Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the creation you've made and for the way that you've preserved us. We thank you for the way that you want us to delight in what you've given us. And Father, we pray that we would be freed in the gospel from the fear of lack and delight in your abundance, that we would be generous like you are and acknowledge your authority over us in all that we think and do.